importance of Filipino ancestry. This podcast will feature the Filipino diaspora in the United States, tracing their origin stories and accompanying them in their journeys. Their stories will be as diverse as the dialects and subcultures of the people from across the 7,641 islands that comprise the Philippine archipelago. Some will be inspiring, others pleasant, and a few, well, cautionary. Welcome to 4 Million Filipinos, the Filipino-American experience. Hey everyone, and welcome back to 4 Million Filipinos. I'm Manola Almagro, your co-host, and I'd like to introduce my co-host, <laughs> Bing Kimpo. I guess we're both Hello. co-hosts, or should we just say hosts? Uh, exactly. I'm, I'm not so sure. Yeah, hosts. Yeah, well, <laughs> anyway, uh, Manolo, welcome. I will call you Manolo for now and add the extra syllable after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we've been talking about uh, some recent life changes on my end, but we can cover that later. <laughs> later. And later on. Watch out for that. <laughs> right. All right. How's it going in election yeah. land, Bing? I hear things are a little crazy over there. <laughs> uh, oh, it, it, it's fun. It's kicking up a notch. And, and you know, it, it, it always is a bit festive. Uh, <laughs> let, let me use that very loosely. It's about it's a bit festive because really, uh, although for much of the time the the coverage has really been about the national elections, elections politics is always local. And and when you have uh, you know when you have elections for mayors and the down to your councilors and and your congressmen and governors, well that becomes festive. And and as the country is slowly opening up. Uh, it, it's borders again. People are now a bit freer, a bit freer to go around. Well, that's um, you know, it just adds and a lot of pent up, <laughs> pent up uh, emotion, I suppose. You know, for being stuck uh, at home for so long. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. Right. Uh, well, all, that, that's all adds good. Up. <laughs> yeah. Look, you're healthy. You you have a new president coming in, hopefully. So everything's good over there, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep, uh, and, and and at the same time, people are gearing up for Holy Week next uh, next oh, week. Oh, that's so right. A number of people will be that. traveling. A number of people will also be, of course, uh, preparing for for the various well different ways that they commemorate that they they celebrate that they observe Holy Week, the Lenten season. So there you go. Hello, excellent. Uh, yeah. Are we now saying hello to the third person in this podcast? That's right. Well, it's, it, it almost seems like she's a third co-host because we've we've been able to talk with her for the last two episodes. Uh, we're turning it's, into it's, more of a serial podcast than we have been in the past, which is kind of cool, I have to say. N- n- not that we attended to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the good news is Cindy Scott is back with us to talk yeah. about her book. She's the author of Never Forsaken. The story of her mother's life. It's her first book, um, and basically, we've been following her mother's experiences as she is uh, kind of experiencing World War II. So we're we're kind of with her during this, and it's been riveting. I actually, I kind of get excited when 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 Sydney starts to talk about it because I'm like, what's going to happen next? It just it keeps me on the edge of my seat. So welcome back, Cindy. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, first of all, Bing, are you okay? Yeah, <laughs> you're, yeah you're choking I'm okay. over there. I'm okay. Do, do you want to get a drink of water while I talk to Cindy? You no, can go ahead and do no, that. No, go, 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 go ahead. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll sneak out. I'll sneak out later. Go all ahead. Right, I'm, 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 all right. I'm, I'm muting you while you cough your head off. So here. We- <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm good now. Thank you. You, right, you muted so- yourself, man. I know. You mute I know. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we're already off the rails to the show. <laughs> so, Cindy, sorry. Let's bring you back. Let's bring us all back. <laughs> and when uh, I think we previously in the last episode, we had talked about um, how your mom, she, she, her and her family and became, uh, they were living amongst the Moros. Did I get that correct? Yes. The Muslims yeah. in the Muslim area, yes. which was kind of dicey, kind of scary. They yeah. weren't necessarily friendly. And then 
they decided that they were go- it was even better to leave that area and surrender to the Japanese, which, you know, it's like out of the frying pan into the fire kind of a thing. Yes. So we left it at, they had, um, may I just inject though, just, just to be, yes. to be fair, mm-hmm. they actually were, were, were hosted rather f- well by, by, by one family, except that there were others in the area, uh, in the area yes. who, you know, were too friendly to them. So, you know, I, I guess in the interest of, of, uh, being friendly and and, and not really generalizing <laughs> and not generalizing. Yes, we're not picking actually, on any specifics. <laughs> yeah, so so they actually yes, they actually were being treated relatively well by one by one group, except that yes, others yes. in one in the community sultan. didn't really oh, by one sultan rather and and yes. but the others around the sultan weren't they didn't look on, on them too kindly. So that is when no. they decide that. You know what? It's probably better that we go and turn ourselves over to the Japs, and 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 you know that was that was that was their decision. Um, yeah. Yeah, but you know to generalize, uh, well, well, it wasn't really the whole uh, yeah. Muslim race. It was a oh, different time. In, 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 in Lano, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. Yes. Things have changed since then. Yes. Much, much, much different. The climate's different. So, yes, if I sounded like I was picking on a specific nationality, I wasn't. So, no, no, no he wasn't. Anyway, so from where we left off, they had um, escaped with uh, it was yes. some cattle. It was a it was some sort of cow, I think. Actually, they escaped um, uh, through the uh, gate. The Japanese yeah. gate, mm-hmm. um, and they had their cart and their bull with them. That's it. So, um, a would you like me to go? Yeah, they had actually. You're right. It's called a carabao, but he was actually right. a, a, this one was a, a bull, I guess, with horns. You know, wow. but um, I do want to mention that this is probably my only book because I am not a professional author. So. Um, but this is a true story. And so when you read this book, you'll feel like you're right with her. Yes. You know, yeah. you feel you're walking through and experiencing her experiences and you actually feel these emotions along with her. Yeah. And, um, it's really a story of faith overcoming fear because think about it now for the next two and a half years, they're on the run. So this episode is about them being on the run in the forest, in the island of Mindanao for the next two and a half years. Now, um, in part three, there is an allegory. There are five allegories in the book, actually, Mm -hmm. of the Agus River that parallel Marion Gent's life. I'd like to read the third allegory, which is the beginning of On the Run. Okay. So, she can see it now. Further up the river, where the twisting, raging snakes of angry water began to straighten, where the spitting white cloth no longer arced so far into the sky, where you could survive the waters, where you had a chance to claw and scrape your way to air, a chance to breathe, a chance to live. But it was so far away. She looks down at the waters again, a storm from the ground instead of the sky taunting her, Daring her. Are you strong enough? It asks as it writhes. Do you have the guts? There is only one way to get to the calm waters. One way to leave behind the roar and the rage. One way to escape the violence. Escape the death. Escape the fear. Swim. So that's the allegory that parallels her life at the beginning of On the Run. Mm-hmm. So, um, Marion Gent, my mom, is the, actually the protagonist in the story. But really, the unsung hero of this whole story is her mother, my Lola, because she carries those military papers in her pouch. She carries my grandfather's American veteran military papers and her marriage certificate um, in her pouch around her waist through all the wars. So, just think if they had been captured. And they found those papers in her, on her, they would have been shot to death on the spot because they were American kids, families, and veterans. So 
Um, they're on the run for the next two and a half years from the Japanese on the island of Mindanao. Now, Bing, you had mentioned the island of Mindanao. Well, the Philippines has, what, 7,600 islands on it? 7,641 islands. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. <Okay. laughs> but this occurs actually on the island of Mindanao. And I've never been there. You've probably been there on Mindanao. But Roots to Mindanao. You know, it's the second largest island in the Philippines. And mm-hmm. um, the guerrilla resistance efforts actually were concentrated on the island of Mindanao because of its terrain. I mean, think about it. Mindanao um, has five major mountain ranges and a lot of lakes and streams throughout the island. So um, there are lots of jungles, rainforests, streams on the island of Mindanao. It, it made very good territory and terrain for the guerrilla effort. So a lot of the focus on um, Mindanao were actually the guerrilla operations. So in the midst of all this, they're running, making a run for the next two and a half years. So my uncle David and George, they were part actually of the guerrilla effort. So and they escaped. They didn't Go really ahead. know. Did they, I mean, you're, we say two years, but they had no idea how long it was going to last. You were correct. They did yeah. not. No. We uh, see no. the end of it. They, they right. were in the midst of it. We, we know the ending. You know, the two and a half right. years that they have ahead of them. But no, they did not know that. And they lost lot, They lost track of time. Remember, there were no calendars. You know, they had no watches. They could tell the, the time of day from when the sun goes down and when the sun comes up. Um, the seasons, when it started to rain or it started getting green. They had no, um, not very, they lost track of time. So they escaped. They go through the gate, and um, they actually look for the soldiers in the background. As soon as the soldiers are out of sight, they run, because Mm. now they're free from the camp. Imagine being free from POW camp. You know, the feeling of joy didn't matter if they had no shoes. They had no shoes. They were barefoot. In fact, she talks about... Um, being barefoot and from wow. this escape, they walk 30 miles to her brother's no house shoes. to take refuge. No shoes. Her feet are bleeding, so blistered and bleeding Ugh. that for a week she actually crawled on her arms, her hands and knees because she could walk. So several of them had no shoes. Um, and so for... 30 miles, they walked past their plantation to her brother's house to take refuge. So that is the first place they go to after they escape. Are they, And um, I'm just trying to understand, you know, because I'm now I'm with her right now. So I'm just like, they're crawling. How did, where, did they have food? I mean, how did they survive? That all that walking 30 miles. Just, that is such understand. a good question, you know, <laughs> because um, they actually ended up getting cassava root. You know, cassava root? They yeah. found cassava yeah. root and they cross. boiled it. They did whatever they they could to, to eat that cassava root. And today you can buy cassava chips in the grocery store. Yeah, and, and, and just to give context uh mindanao is often referred to as as the land of promise it's very fertile land and you know this doesn't make things easier for 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 them for their situation but really if you come to think of it they were also fortunate in the sense that they were in mindanao because a lot of things were just growing endemically you've got a lot of uh, a lot of root crops as you say there mm-hmm. It's pretty fertile, and there's a lot of wild, uh, wild uh, things grow, things growing in the wild. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, some some of the vegetables which you find commonly these days, and a lot of it, it's attributed to as as a as a you know as a wonder, as a wonder weed of sorts. It's the we call it malungay, and that's that you call in, in English it's called moringa, and there's mm-hmm. and it just grows wildly. So, in that sense. I, I guess they had to adapt to that situation. There were no prepared meals, but 
right. fortunately for them, there was a lot that they could forage in, in, in these forests. And there were a lot that, you know, uh, they could just pick up fruits. And, uh, you know, it's a story of faith. And you just want to thank the Lord that it happened there because they were able to right. just pick up uh, food all around mm-hmm. as they were struggling through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, just, I just recall that the the, the we were we're ce- we were celebrating last year the the quincentennial of, of the arrival uh, of of the Philippine role in the circumnavigation. When when Magellan's crew arrived in the Philippines, mm-hmm. they were they were famished. They had no food, and they were very very fortunate that when they arrived in the Philippines. There was a lot of food to be found, so I guess just to bring the the conversation just you know a bit outside of of the story, mm-hmm. we have to also look back at at uh, you know the Philippines, and, and and you know thank God for for the blessings that there's a lot of uh, mm-hmm. the natural resources are there, and maybe it's also a a, a reminder for those who who've already left that. You know, maybe there are things that there are some opportunities that you can look uh, look at because there are a lot of resources there that the the yield of which hasn't been optimized. People are yes. producing, people are people are planting, except that you know it could it could be better, and perhaps you know the the technologies, uh, the new way, new perspectives that that you have out there in in uh, in the United States, for example, could be applied as well. And and you know that that's the beauty of you being, in a sense, uh, having dual backgrounds. You're, you're you're Filipinos, you're Americans, and yet you're Filipinos. So mm-hmm. maybe you still have some things that you could contribute to this country as well. But anyways, mm-hmm. I, I digress. All I just wanted to say <laughs> is that you know they they were very very lucky, and it's a story of faith. And then they were very very yeah. lucky as well. It 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 was tough, but you know at least. There were places as they crawled through that forest, through through that very difficult place, in the worst of circumstances, they could still forage for for stuff to eat. Well, you know, survival was always in the forefront of their minds. When you're going through that, that's what you think of. And they, yes, they ended up eating cassava roots, but they also ended up eating monkeys and lizards. What fern tops, whatever they could get their hands on, they ate. You know, there was no meat and cattle to survive. They had to eat that. So um, I did want to mention when they left the camp, by the way, um, they later heard that there were three men from that camp that escaped. So in retribution, the Japanese soldiers actually took three other POWs, and uh, um, a colonel, a captain, a sergeant, and paraded them on the grounds and took all the POWs to watch this going on, and they used these three men for bayonet practice. Oh, that's horrible. So they heard that after they had left, so that was an awful, horrible thing for them. So, you know, at least they, they escaped and got out. Those men who pretended to be their husbands, as soon as the soldiers were out of sight, whoa, they disappeared. They were gone. So here they are at her brother's house, 30 miles later, feet bleeding and everything. And they only stayed for a little bit because the Japanese troops, it was a road that the Japanese trucks went on. So they knew they were going to be found in that place. So they decided to leave that. There were actually 18 of them by now in this house. They all as a group decided to leave, walk several miles, a day's walk to go to the seashore. So Bing, you know. It's there, there's the sea that's surrounded by what is it? Elegan Bay is over there. Um, uh, so they decide to go to the seashore where they find an abandoned schoolhouse. So this is their like second on the run by now. An mm-hmm. abandoned schoolhouse, all 18 of them, and um, it's right near the shore. So, guess what? What do they get to eat by the seashore? Fish, fish. <laughs> so they were so thankful that they could fish daily and get some food. Now, 
I do want to recount one of her stories. I will not recount all the stories on the run. But in this group of 18 was a young man who was 18 years old, whose name was Emilio. He was one of their leaders. And so um, one morning, Mom, Marion, and Emilio decided they wanted to get up early, go fishing. So the fishermen in the village had actually taught them how to fish with a net. You know, you can picture that. You know, you throw out your net, mm-hmm. you the fish come in, and you pull that net in. So Amelia and Mom decided to go fishing early, went with the net, and as they're pulling the net out, several of their um, group came and helped them pull the net out, fill their baskets with fish. And as they're walking back, their bull um, is right there, and they walk past the bull, and Amelia walks past the bull, and... Um, the uh, bull's horn kind of bumps Emilio. Mm-hmm. Emilio Boy. falls to the ground. And so they, they're they telling Emilio, Emilio, get up, you know, stop joking, get up. Emilio doesn't get up. Oh, no. Well, what happened was, and this is so sad, um, the bullhorn actually caused a brain hemorrhage in his brain. And so at the age of 18 years old, this young man, dies not from the war, right? But he dies from an internal hemorrhage from being hit by the bull. And it wasn't even on purpose. It was just an accident. So for the first time in her life, my mom, who's now 16 years old, sees a person die in front of her. I mean, because they prayed for him and prayed for him thinking he would wake up, and he didn't wake up. So here they are in the midst of being by the shore. And they bury Emilio, could not put anything on his grave because, of course, they didn't want the Japanese to find out. So this is her first experience with death. Although her father had passed away when she was seven years old, he already had died when they brought his body back to the plantation. They Mm -hmm. laid him out on the dining room table and they waited for family members to come before they held the funeral. But you know, he had already passed away. So for her, this was such, oh my gosh, a gripping emotional experience that this young man dies in front of them. I don't think anything can prepare you that even seeing another, you know, being attending a funeral or something that nothing can prepare you to watch that happen. I mean, that's just, I don't even know where to go with that. You mentioned how there was like 17 folks Basically, the group was 17. There's 17 now. There were 18, but Emilio just passed away. So, yes, there are now 17 of them. 17. So, mm-hmm. there are, just to go back, how the, the, the makeup of the group was also pretty interesting because you had, um, I'm, I'm just reading, the seven adults, four teenagers, yes. five small children, and a baby. Yes. That, yes. That's a lot of people to, I mean, it's not like you can just pick up and run. You have a lot of, you know... Just getting my kids out the door, I can, I know yeah. how long that takes. I can't, I can't fathom what that was like, pulling all those and people to feed, around. And to feed everyone, you know? Uh, yeah. But, um, you know, along, of course, in that group were her mother, who she calls Mama, and her sister Pearl, remember, who fell out the window, who right. has the, the, the mind of a nine-year-old. But mm-hmm. I didn't mention that her other sister, Helen, who's with them, actually had polio. So here, wow. Helen has a crippled foot, and she can't walk fast. So most of the time, the men had to either um, carry her or help her walk or something because she could not walk fast like everybody else. So imagine mm-hmm. this group of, you're correct, the adults, the children, a baby, and um, there were two orphan girls with them named uh, Felly and B, who had actually lived in the dormitory with my mom when they were going to high school. So, you know, now this is about August 1943, so you can picture it, okay? The mm-hmm. war has been going on for nearly two years okay. because it broke out in December of 1941. 41, yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, being earlier, you talked about different groups that took them in and and, uh, gave them a safe refuge. So after the seashore, they walk, walk, walk several miles again until they get to a village. They're on the run. So just picture this. They're on the run because they know the Japanese are coming behind them. Um, 
they come to a village, they find another abandoned house, a schoolhouse, and they um, live in the schoolhouse again. And while they're there, they hear a knock on the door. And they saw that there had been a truckload of Japanese soldiers that had pulled into the town. So they hear this knock on the door, and this Japanese soldier comes in, but he says to them in English, don't be afraid. I come as a friend, and I wish also that this war would stop. And he quickly turns around, and he leaves the house, and they leave. Oh. Wow. So, that's, you know, that's another what you would call the grace of God, a miracle for them. But they knew the Japanese were behind them, so, you know what? It was time to move on again. Cindy... Just a question. Uh, you know, they're running from the Japanese, so it's they're running from. But what were they running to? Was was there an idea of of a general direction where they thought safety was was uh, was nearby or safety was was achievable, or was it just really at this point just running, trying to be as fast and far away mm-hmm. possible from from where danger uh, was? Very good question, because I, I don't think and I don't believe that they knew where safety was. At this point, they were just still running from the Japanese. Um, they didn't know where there were safe places right now because they had no information. And, um, you know, that happened in August of 1943, and they run again. They're on the move. And... Um, we get to September of 1943, and my mom's birthday is actually September 13th. And she now turned 17 years old, and the war's been going on for two for two years. You know, here she was when the war started. She was this young, innocent 15-year-old, um, and now she's 17, and so much has already happened. And, of course, like you said, they don't know the war's going to end in another two years. So they they leave again. They walk again, trying to run to some place, Bing, where the Japanese aren't. They get to another village. And you picture this, that the Mindanao, there's village after village after village, right? There's, there's streaks of nothing, walking, and then you get to a village. So they come to another village, and there's a fish farm at the village that belongs to a family friend of theirs that they knew, that the gents knew. Uh, Mr. Kano, C-A-N-O, that was his name. Mm-hmm. And so he had a little Nipah hat. You know what those Nipah hats are? You know, the Nipah hats that are the traditional Filipino homes actually before the Spaniards came. So the Nipah hats are made out of bamboo and um, straw on the roofs. But the first floor is actually one level up. You know, the, the, the bottom floor, there's nothing. It's where they cook. It's like a house on stilts. Yep. So and that's that's where the the animals, the farm animals, could also stay. Yes. The bottom. Yes, right. they 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 did their cooking underneath there, but also it was built on stilts because you know floods would come. It would keep them from rising waters and also keep out pests, I guess, like rats. You know, I mean, yeah, little yeah. pests like yeah. that. But. Um, so Mr. Cano had a fish farm, and uh, he let them stay on the bottom level. You know, they could sleep underneath. All 17 of them, Manolo, just okay. think of that. All 17 of them, Mr. Cano said they could sleep on the ground. So um, here they are. They've gotten there. It's nighttime. They're very exhausted, and they um, go to sleep on the ground, and then in the middle of the night... They feel these crawly creatures on them. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> okay, it's dark. Yeah. They feel these crawly creatures on them, and somebody shouted, oh, they're hermit crabs, hermit crabs. Oh, okay, so there at were least they're hermit not like crabs. predators or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Good Lord. Hermit crabs <clears throat> all over them. Remember, hermit crabs actually, they're active at night. Yeah. They're nocturnal creatures, they're nocturnal. so they, you know, they sleep during the day, 
But at nighttime, they come out, suffrage them, 17 people on the ground at night. Well, this was play day for those hermit crowds. Good grief. And, you know, they were going to go leave this place and go find another place. But Mr. Kano said, oh, no, no, come on to inside our little Nipah hut and you can sleep with us. So Mm -hmm. here there are 17 of them in this small Nipah hut. They're like person to person sleeping now inside the neat hut with Mr. Kano and his wife. But there's a knock on the door, and when they open the door, there are some guerrillas, Filipinos, at the door, and they said, open this door, we will shoot. So um, Marion, my mom, actually opened the door, and they wanted Mr. Kano to come out because they were going to arrest him. They found out that he'd been a Japanese spy. Wow. So even when the war broke out and mom was, you know, the day that the war broke out um, and they left the school, there were a lot of stores um, in Dunsalin that were closed. And mom and her friend wondered, you know what? I bet some of these shopkeepers were Japanese spies, and they were, because later on they are actually seen in Japanese uniforms. Some of them were collaborators, so there were also Filipinos who were mm-hmm. collaborating. Uh, you know, that, that, that's the point with which I wanted to uh, also make while while Sydney was speaking. That you know, you can't help it. It was it's human nature. For some people, the survival instinct is to flee. And 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 for and for others, it, it's really to to work with uh, you know whoever with, to work with the enemy, and and uh, yeah. that, that's why they, to survive. To survive. And, and and that is why that was one one of the tough decisions. You're running from uh, from the known enemy, but at the same time, along the way in in that journey of yours, in that travel, in, in that flight, you're also going to come across people who you have to decide are these friends or are these working with the enemy so it was an unimaginable situation and really contrary to to human nature human nature tells wants you to reach out and talk to someone particularly in your time of need and you think that people are going to be helping you because that's the way humans are supposed to be we're supposed to help each other in our time of need but Right. Turns out that you know some of them can actually just be there, put out, roll out the red carpet in a sense, only to serve you up to the enemy, and 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 that was really the tough part as well. It it wasn't as if the whole journey wasn't tough enough. You would then have the welcoming arm supposedly of of a friend, mm-hmm. and there 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 you are. They're serving you up, and that was just. The difficulty of the, of that period. Well, since they, Mr. Kana was a Japanese spy, they knew they were going to have to leave there because the Japanese were going to be behind them because they had information on them. You know, these were American families and veterans. And so what did they had to do? They had to get up again and they had to leave that village and walk a whole day's walk again to the next village. Like you said, Bing, they didn't know where there was a safe place. So they get to the next village. They find another schoolhouse that's abandoned for them. They they sleep in there, but in the midst of that night, again, they had these creatures coming down, but this time they weren't hermit crabs. They were centipedes. Oh, no. And how are you going to kill centipedes? They actually took clubs trying to beat these centipedes off of them. And so... It was infested with these creatures. And you know how many legs a centipede has. Can you imagine hundreds of them on you? Well, I've seen the Philippine centipedes. They're not like little baby centipedes. They're they're big. (laughs) They're big and fat. So, yeah. Are they like scorpions? It's a lot of uh, nightmare fuel I'm having right now. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) Well, they, um, again, they're on the run. Yeah. And, uh, but at this point, um, their, her brother David shows up. You know, David was a gorilla. Mm-hmm. They didn't know where he was, but there were times he would just show up 
And he always knew where they were because he keep he kept track of them. Nice. And um, he found them and uh, said, you know what? I'm going to take you across the bay where it's safe. So he kind of knew. So we, he had these boats for them. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, they got into these boats. And it was not safe because they were so afraid there would be Japanese patrol boats on the bay. This is Elegan Bay. Mm-hmm. And they got onto the boats. It was almost a whole day of crossing that bay. And they got across um, to the other side. And they're now in another village. Okay. So, as you can picture, crossing the bay, get to a village... Now they're at another seaport. So this is Osamis. If you have a map, O-Z-A-M-I-Z, um, it's on Oligan Bay. Osamis. Bing, you know more. How do you pronounce Osamis. it? Osamis? It's Osamis. Osamis. Yeah. So have you been there? Can you tell me anything about it's a port city. Yes, it is a port city. It's, it's, it's a wonderful place, really. Um, it, it's near... It's it's near my uh, my home province on my mom's side in Zamboanga del Norte, um, and 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 it really is a is an is a jump off point towards Iligan to the rest of nor- to northern Mindanao. Okay. So yeah, and, and uh, you're right. It it can be a pretty I can imagine particularly at that time, it could be a very dangerous place. Mm-hmm. Well, they get over there, and. Um... They stay for a little bit, you know. It's a seaport. They can fish. They can eat. They kind of, kind of uh, have a few days of daily living. But one day, now remember, they're used to hearing airplanes. They could tell the sound of an American plane. They hmm. could tell the sound of a Japanese plane. And they've watched dogfights in the sky between wow. American and Japanese planes. So one day, they're there in Osamas. They hear a Japanese plane flying incredibly low by their house, and they look up. It's a Japanese plane that started shooting actually at them. And my mom talks about hiding behind a coconut tree to protect herself, you know? And um, that plane shot at them until he he ran out of ammunition. So here they are, Japanese after them again, time to go. Now they're in the port city. And this time, they decide to go into the hills. So Mindanao is full of hills, we said, rainforest. And now they've been two and a half years into the war. They go uh, up into the hills, and it is now, let's say, January of 1944. So the war has been going on for over two and a half years. And in their mind, all they can think of is actually... John MacArthur's message when he said, I shall return. During this time, that's when my Lola actually finds that flyer, that leaflet. Remember, it's dropped by planes. She finds that leaflet that says, I shall return, and that's the one I have hanging in my house today. The one that she picked up, she put in her pouch with the papers. Wow. So now they're up in the hills. And, um, you know, they get most of their news from the guerrillas. They didn't have TV at the time, of course. How did you yep. get your news? You know, it was... Word of, mouth, word of mouth. Word of mouth. Unless you had a radio that was working. Mm-hmm. So, um, that was in the foremost of their minds. John MacArthur saying, I shall return. And after that, they stayed there for a little bit up in the hills. And um, my Lola, again, she's 57, 58, 59 years old by now. And just think, I hate to say how old I am, but I can't even imagine going from village to village and running and walking like that at that age. Right. Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. And then you wouldn't want that on anyone of that age as well. How did she keep up hope? Because again, right, we know it took this. Mm-hmm. It was a two-year thing, but 
in their eyes, it could have been may, maybe the flyer gave them hope, but I just, I don't know how your mother was able to keep her spirits up you know, in this you know, situation. When uh, she talked about when they were staying at these different villages and towns and they would be together, honestly, they would sing hymns. They would recite Bible verses they could remember because they didn't have any of that with them. So they would spend the time singing hymns, reciting Bible verses, occasionally reminiscing about their father, you know, the fond memories that they had. That's how they kept on going. And then her mother, my Lola, prayed every night for every member of that family. You know, remember they were scattered all over. They didn't know who was safe and where they were. It was very difficult. David the gorilla knew. Now her other brother was also uh, a gorilla, Brother George. In fact, do you know the name Colonel Fertig? Okay, Colonel Fertig actually was the commander of the Mindanao guerrillas, and her brother George was his liaison officer um, between the, the guerrillas and the, the, the military, the U.S. Um, portion of the guerrilla um, effort, resistance, which was actually formed by General MacArthur even way back when the war started. So now we're into February of 1944, and um, her brother David shows up again. He always seemed to know where they were, and he shows up, and um, this time he tells them that he is going to take them to a safe place. He knows the place where the Japanese have not occupied this area of Mindanao. So he gets them ready, and um, he warns them that it's going to be a very, very difficult journey. It's going to be a two- to three-day journey to cross the rainforest to the other side where they would be safe. So he has these men, Sabanos. Have you ever heard of them? That's right. Bing? These are these are the um, indigenous cultural communities. Uh, a number of them in Mindanao, particularly in uh, Zamboanga, the Zamboanga Peninsula, and in Bukidnon. So mm-hmm. they're they're a they're a they're an indigenous Filipino community. Are they like Ifagaos? That's the only ones I know of. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So there are a number of okay. indigenous cultural communities mm-hmm. in the Philippines right now, and and the number of them. Um, a number of them still still keep uh, their identity intact, their culture, and mm-hmm. some of the, the ways of doing things. And as a matter of fact, um, some of them are being, uh, just like you have in the States, where, where you've got the Indian uh, reservations, where, where they can still be themselves and, and, and uh, exercise, you know, and, and, and just act according to their cultural practices. So right. we've got that as well here in the Philippines, and they've got these ancestral domains now where essentially large groups of these indigenous cultural communities, indigenous peoples, can be amongst themselves and and still carry on with their culture. Uh, and, and, you know, that's a good thing because at least it still gives them that sense of identity, who they are, and, you know, without necessarily having to uh, force them to, you know, to blend in with with right. with the rest. Well, Just the Sabanos, diversity, yeah. My my uh, uncle David um, brought twelve Sabanos with him to help. Uh, you know, the six. These are six females now. There are only six of them left in this group to cross over the rainforest and get to a safe place. Now. The Sabanos, my mom would say, they were so swift. They would walk like a deer. You know, they were so fast that they could barely keep up with them. So um, they, you know, Sabanos, actually, they were farmers back then, and they were kind of like nomads. They They would plant something, and then they would move on, and they would move from one location to another location. They would clear a part of the rainforest and for fields, and then they would cultivate some crops there and then they would move on again and so um uh, david said to them okay this is a very good difficult journey and that we have to get to the side of the mountain by tonight we're going to sleep by the side of the mountain 
So he gets them ready to go. But soon after, instead of waiting, he immediately said, we have to leave right now and cross the rainforest. We can't wait. Well, the Japanese were right behind them, and they found out that the last house they had been in, the Japanese had bombed it. So they knew they were right behind them. So they had to cross this rainforest. So here they are, okay, is now nighttime, Mm -hmm. and they have to cross it. They don't have time to sleep at the side of the mountain. So it's incredibly difficult. Because remember, Helen was had a crippled foot. Mm-hmm. So she couldn't walk and cross this, this terrain without help. So they actually had to build a hammock for her. The Sabanos built a hammock and they carried her oh, wow. uh, on the hammock. And the Sabanos made these pointed staffs out of bamboos. You mm-hmm. can picture it. One end is very pointed. They used them as staffs so they could use it to go up the terrain and down the terrain. Up the hill, one ravine, down another ravine. Let, let so, me just say that... Go ahead. Let me just say that, you know, they were they were fortunate that the Subanos were, were among them because the Subanos, they're very resourceful full people. And at the mm-hmm. same time, they certainly know... Uh, they know the plants. They know they, they know the, the the they know the the fruits, the plants, and they know what their medicinal properties are. Mm-hmm. They know what 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 the uh, what is good to eat, uh, what what is healthy, and and they really just know the land. I've 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 seen them, spoken to them, uh, oh. and and a number of them, and you know. It, they were they were just lucky that at that point they had people who really mm-hmm. knew that terrain mm-hmm. because as you said they 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 they, they, they could be nomadic and mm-hmm. um, they could rely they, they could be relying on on what just was there fortunately they knew they would know they would have known what it was in that surrounding that would keep them alive in that very very in in that journey and again they're very very resourceful that that's why yes. you know, the idea of setting up a hammock and all of that and, and doing making all these tools that that well, sounds my, just like them my uncle david knew the savannah well so yeah. they have their own language so there is actually a savannah right. language but my that's uncle right. david knew them well and um so before they crossed my uncle david took tobacco juice and had um, had mom and the, all, the, all six of them put tobacco juice on their legs because they knew they were going to come across leeches, okay. which they did. They did. As they were crossing, they came across leeches that stuck to their bodies and leached on. You know what a leech oh. is? It sucks. It yes. sticks to you and it sucks your blood out. Well, they had leeches trying to get on them and tobacco juice repels the leeches. See, you didn't know that. Oh, that's just good think to of know. what you just learned today. <laughs> we, you go out camping, put tobacco yeah. juice on you so you don't have any leeches on you, right? But um, <laughs> they they were across the ravine up and down. Sabanos were with them. Just picture them crossing this. It was getting very late, and they actually had to hold hands in the dark um, and make a line because it was so difficult going up the ravine and down the ravine. There was constant moisture. Just remember now you're getting into the rainforest. It is dark. You are dripping with moisture from the rainforest. That's why it's a rainforest. Um, There's no sun, no light shining. Just think, you know, I was thinking when I read this part, how a blind person feels because right now it was total darkness. Right. And, um, while they're in the midst of this, the Sabano stop suddenly, and they have no place to sleep, okay? So my mom, and this is actually how mom was for, for I could rest of her life, and I can picture her doing this at 17 years old. The men stopped, had this kind of a bad attitude, and so you know what she does? She picks up a club, and she tells the men, the men my brother will shoot all of you if you do not do what I say. So, <laughs> so, so here she is at 17 with a club and telling him, you better do what I'm saying, like build us a house and a fire so we can stay here and 
sleep through the night, you know? Yeah, well, and, she's um, had a lot of time to practice being independent, so it makes yeah. sense that she would. Yes, and actually she was that way um, later on in years. She, mom did, she was so honest, and she didn't waste time going beating around the bush when mm-hmm. she wanted to tell you something, right? Oh, yeah. So here <laughs> they are, cold and hungry and tired, and this is when she feels the most helpless, actually, I think, um, during the war. This is the this is the blackest point for her because here ahead of them is this huge mountain they have to cross to get to the other side, and it's completely dark and wet. So this is what she does. She cries and she begs to God, and she remembers a hymn. In her mind, and if you know, don't mind, this is the hymn that she mm-hmm. remembers. God will take care of you, be not afraid. He is your safeguard through sunshine and shade. Tenderly watching and keeping his own, he will not leave you to wander alone. God will take care of you, be not afraid. Oh, what a father, redeemer, and friend. Jesus will answer whenever you call. He will take care of you. Trust him for all. So she sang this hymn to herself. Mm-hmm. She curled up into a ball that night and cried herself to sleep. So okay. picture this. No, I, I think well, I'm saying this because we're, we're at the end of the time for this episode. This is perfect timing. And finish your thought. And then we're going to make people wait until the next episode to find out what happens next. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Because the, the, what happens next I'm not going to tell you. Yes. That's what we're going to wait for. But just right. picture her right now at the end of this, that this hymn and this prayer, she goes to sleep with this hymn in her mind. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what's going to happen next. So that's no. what I'm telling all of you listeners. Thank you for joining us. And I hope you were just as riveted as I was. You know, you, you can always that's buy the right. book and hear the, the whole ending. So that's the other way to do this. But um, yes, think, you can get Never Forsaken on Amazon. That's right. That's right. And I think that we, we there's also going to be a link that I put in the in this post about where you can get it from Kubo as well, because there's okay, another great. Rakuten option. So there are ways to get this if you can't get it through the Amazon store. Um, thank you, Cindy, for, for thank keeping you. us riveted and telling us this story. We look forward to the next episode. Bing, thank you for joining us. I hope you elect the president soon. When, 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 <laughs> whenever they make that no, decision. The, 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 the elections are on May 9th. And uh, yeah, so it'll, it'll okay. happen. Don't worry. All right. All right. Thanks, thank you listeners. so much, guys. Thank you for joining us, everyone. You can find us on anywhere you listen to your podcast. And please join us for the next episode where we find out what happens next. Thanks, everyone.